You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. I was trying to think earlier just how I could introduce this morning. There's some very specifics, but it's quite a broad brush, brush I'm going to talk about as well. We've sung some songs this morning about Jesus' broken chains. As Mark said, he did everything when he died. And yet there's a reality that in some cases we don't experience chains broken. It's a different thing. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Not this just head knowledge, but a heart knowledge he's talking about. I pray also the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called us, to the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is like the mighty working of his strength which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. We might know it up here, but actually the Bible talks about knowing it in here. So we can't declare what Jesus has done without having the revelation that it's for me. Everything you need in your life has been achieved on the cross already. But until we know it in here, we don't enter into the truth. We often quote a phrase saying, um, the truth sets you free. But it doesn't. That is not the full quote. The full quote is when you know the truth, it sets you free. And so often we speak biblical truths, but only part of them. We need to enter into what it means for each one of us. So I'm praying that prayer. God, open our eyes this morning. Let us grasp the revelation of what you've already done for us. I want to just talk for a while about repenting and being baptized. The word repent is used over 70 times in the New Testament, and the word baptized is used over 70 times. They're not always spoken together, but the one we often know about is repent and be baptized. Repent, I'll just say what, um, I've forgotten if J.R. Vine, I think he's called kind of gives definitions of biblical words. This is what he said repent means in the kind of the Greek. It's a total change of mind and heart. In the New Testament, it involves a change for the better and always repentance, or nearly always, is a turning away from sin and evilness and a turning to God. It's, an, it's a normal word, this as well. It just means, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do other, something different. But in biblical understanding, it's a turning away from sin and it's a turning to God. In the Old Testament, when this word was used, it was often about the nation turning back to God. But in the New Testament, it's about individuals turning back to God. Jesus understanding, this is what he came, we must turn back. So in great, Peter's great sermon, day of Pentecost, he said this, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he ties repentance, turning away from sin, evilness, turning to God, and this is the promise, you will be forgiven. Without turning to God, there's no forgiveness of sins. So how do we receive forgiveness? We need a change of heart. We need to acknowledge what we've done and where we've been, and we want to change and come to God. We need a revelation from God to know the condition of our own hearts and why we need to be saved. It's more than the head knowledge and almost something has to be a touch from God to show our desperate need of being saved. If we don't have that, 
It's just going to be a mental exercise. If you read some of the old revivals, people were weeping and crying when they saw the condition of their hearts in the relationship to a holy God. And I wonder how many times today do we actually hear people weeping and crying for their sin as they turn back to God. I wonder. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but should have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in God's one and only Son. Believing. Repentance is about turning away and believing what's been achieved and what Jesus has done for you. Everything we've sung this morning has been about Jesus. There is no other way. It's about the cross of Christ. There is no other way. None. And if you want to be saved, forgiven, it's about coming here and going through the cross and to the cross. Mark 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized. Whoever believes and is baptized. Belief is fundamental in repentance and in being baptized. So believing is repenting. It's making this 180 degree turn from where we were going to where God, to serving God now. And it's being more than just knowing it here. It's experiencing it here. Jesus is an experiential saviour. He wants us to know him. He died and paid the price for our sin and our rebellion, and that's what it was, sin and rebellion against God. The moment you believe, if you, if you believe in Jesus, I'm, I want to explain some of the things that's already happened according to the Bible. Whether you've grasped them or not, I'll say, I want to tell you what the Bible says. If you haven't believed, then this is the change that can take place in your life the moment you do. This is what Paul tells the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, let me remind you, and this is from the Amplified Bible, just in case you might think it's a bit longer. Let me remind you once again of the good news of salvation which I preached to you, which you welcomed and accepted, on which you stand by faith. By this faith, you're saved, you're reborn from above, you're spiritually transformed, renewed, set apart for his purpose, if... You hold firmly to the word which I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain, just superficially and without complete commitment. For I passed on to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to that which the scriptures foretold, and that he was buried, and that he was bodily raised on the third day according to that which the scriptures foretold. And he appeared to Peter first and then the twelve. This is something David prayed, I think, a little earlier. Virtually word for word, Jesus died, buried, rose, ascended. That's the gospel. And he did it for us. So born again, a new spiritual birth. The moment you believe completely, ask Christ to come to you. I believe this is what happens. You're born from above. Jesus said this to... Uh, it's gone from me, John 3. Nicodemus. I'm not going to say it's a senior moment. Because I know young people have those moments as well. So it's, I just had a moment. Jesus said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter the second time into the mother's womb to be born 
And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, very truly, not just truly, but very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to spirit, the spirit gives birth to spirit. The moment you believe you're born again, spiritually connected back to God. But there's more. There's absolutely more. Paul says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by sinful being, the sinful self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. That's where we were, alien to God, dead in transgressions, sin, not alive to God at all, being controlled by the flesh, fleshly impulses. All we could expect was wrath from God in who we were, this core being, this nature. But the moment you believed, the moment you accepted Christ, the change took place. And we can read about it in 2 Peter 1. In this new creation, this new being, this spirit life, God's divine power has bestowed upon us absolutely everything necessary for a dynamic spiritual life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and experience. A true and personal knowledge, not somebody else's knowledge, your own knowledge. For by these, he has bestowed on us his precious and magnificent promises if in inexpressible value, so that by them you may escape from the immoral freedom, the immoral freedom that is in our world, because of those disreputable desires and become sharers of the divine nature. You become sharers of God's divine nature. The old nature doesn't control you anymore. It's dead. The new nature now is a partaker of God's divine nature. He's the one that's living in us by the power of the Spirit. The old nature dies, dead, not just painted up, not just made to look a bit better, it's dead, but now the brand new nature. And through God's grace, we're able to do what he wants us to do. And Paul even builds on this. He said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Not you're on the process of being made. The biblical language is very strong. I'm a new creation. The old's gone, the new is here. It's not in, you know, no man's line, you know, between two battles take, or battle taking place. You passed over. There is none. You're either old or you're new. And the Bible says, I'm a new creation. The old has gone. I've got a new nature. The old nature's dead. Can I just say, I don't think the NIV helps at all because they keep translating, especially in Romans, that I'm struggling with the old nature. The word isn't nature, it's flesh. They thought it would confuse people to say, I'm battling with the flesh now in my new life. So they keep saying, no, I'm battling with the old nature. But I think it's contradictory what other scriptures say. Your old nature's dead. We have a new nature. We battle with the flesh. And that is totally different. The moment we believed and accepted Jesus, we were irrevocably changed. Spirit born. Old nature gone. Brand new nature. Old gone. Brand new creation. But there's more. Do you remember the story of Jesus? And I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in communion. Washing the disciples' feet. And he came to Peter, and Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet? Because it was a dirty job. You know, muck on them, animal muck on them, everything, and somebody washing them clean for you. 
And he said, you're not doing that to me. And Jesus said, unless you, wash, you let me wash your feet, you can't have a part of what I'm doing. And so Peter says, oh, wash my head, my hands, my feet. And then Jesus said to him, actually, if you've had a bath, you only need to wash your feet. Of course, if you've had a bath, you've been washed clean. And all you're dealing then with is the dirt of the day because you've already had a bath. I just want to say, I've been thinking about this, this is the place we have a bath. When you come to the cross and accept Christ in your life, you've had a bath, a super clean bath. More than a 100 degree water bath. Because it doesn't just clean the outside, it cleans the inside too. You're totally and utterly clean. And after that has happened, all we need to worry about every day, because we might have slipped, is wash your feet. Never think you've not been washed clean, because Jesus says you have been. And that's the biggest lie of the devil, and he will keep bringing you back. You've done that. He keeps trying to wank you in your past. That's all he does. That's his playground. John's been talking about the devil's playbook. There's another one. He anchors us in the past if he can and gets us to believe his lies and not the truth of the Bible. So we have to believe what Jesus says about us, not believe the lies of the enemy. Believe who you are in Christ. And there's also something else happens here. This is an amazing thing, and I believe it builds on understanding what it means to have had a bath. We can read about it in uh, Hebrews. This is what it says. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. When you come to Jesus, you accept him. You come to the cross, you go through the cross, and Jesus, one of some of his last words were, it is finished. The old covenant is gone. We do not live in the old covenant of religious kind of, you must do this now and you need a sacrifice for that. You don't. You enter into a brand new covenant. And it says in that covenant, I don't remember your sins anymore. I do not hold your past against you anymore. It's totally taken away. What stands between my past and now is the cross of Christ. And the lies of the devil have no place. Repent and be baptized. Baptism is a picture exactly of what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul intended it to be. And that's why I, I'm so sad when we baptize babies because we stopped them grasping the reality and the picture of what Paul wanted us to grasp. When we saw the baptisms the other day, these guys walked out into the water, they were baptized, and they came out, and they walked out. Okay, they got wet and they came out. But the spiritual reality was they walked into the water. This is not what happened on the day, by the way. This is just to show you what spiritually already happened to you. You walked in, Richard and Rebecca, and obviously Abigail, they walked in, they were buried. They were saying, I'm dead to my old way of life. My old nature's gone. It's dead. It's buried now. And when they came out, they didn't come out with an old nature. They came out with a brand new nature. Born again. Spirit-filled. This is what the new life is all about. This is just a picture of it. It didn't happen at that moment. It already happened. And they were just signifying that. But actually, in the New Testament, you believed, and they would take you straight to the water. So it was quite quickly... You didn't go through six weeks of teaching just to show. You know, you can believe God can do that later. And in some cultures, when people come out of the water, they give them brand new clothes to wear. 
just to show that now you've got robes of righteousness on, on not the, the old rags you went in with. And in some cultures, they will give you a different name. Where do you think we get the name Christian name from? Because you changed, you're not the same person. I don't know what I'd like to call Rebecca now, but... But I do know one word we could call them is Saint Rebecca and Saint Richard. That was only a term for believers. It wasn't these special people. It was to differentiate you from an unbeliever. So Saint Rebecca, why not? I wouldn't like to say it to Richard because I think it might go to his head, but... (laughs) Years ago, not long after we'd had an experience of the Holy Spirit, Charles and I, Mr. Smith... Yorkshire Charles. Can't believe that a Lancashireman and a Yorkshireman can have such friendship, but we do. We were praying for a man, and he really wanted to move on in God's purpose and to experience the Holy Spirit in ways he hadn't. And as we were praying, I had this picture. Okay, pictures are not Bible, okay? They're not, but I had this picture. I believe it was God helping us to see where the man was going or where he was. So a picture of the cross. And as I looked at the cross, there was a doorway here. Not very big, but there was a doorway. And I saw a picture of a man, which I'm assuming could have represented him because we were praying for him. And he had a suitcase in this hand, a suitcase in this hand, a rucksack. There was so much stuff he had with him, and he was coming towards the cross like that. And it was obvious that what he was carrying couldn't go through the door. And I was surprised last week when I said about the song where I said the old's been made new, and I said, actually, I don't believe that. The old's dead. We have a brand new nature of completely new. And I know this because I went out with the children, then Sue apparently came afterwards and talked about people having clutter and carrying stuff. And she didn't hear me say it either because Sue had left the room at that point. She often does, but... <laughs> I mean, when I'm, when I'm here, I mean, I won't mean in anything else, Sue. But she she didn't hear any of that, but then she came, and and I believe that was God speaking, that actually we can't carry all our rubbish. He wants us to leave it at the cross. He doesn't want us to take our past with us, because if we believe we're new creations, it shouldn't have a hold on us like it so often does. But there was something else I recognized, and a phrase came, and again, you've got to take this for what it is. The phrase came to me, the cross has two sides. Some people think every time they go to the cross and they mess up again, I've got to come to the cross again and go through this whole process that I'm saying we've already done. But what I realized that day is, if I can lay everything on this side and I go beyond the cross, through the gate, okay, this is a boundary between one life and another, a new life. If I mess up, I don't then have to come back here to the front again in the old world I used to live. I can actually come behind it And it's the same cross. I met a woman once at a prayer meeting, and she said, you know, if I sin, I feel like a dirty dog. I said, okay, and what do you do? Say, I pray forgiveness, and I feel clean until I sin again, and I feel like a dirty dog. And I thought, what a a life to live. You know, I'm, I'm clean for five minutes, then I'm not. But beyond there, we have a promise we're clean. We don't have to keep coming and doing the same process again. If you've really given your heart to Jesus, it's a one. And I'm not saying there's not deeper revelations, but I'm talking about a change before the cross and after the cross or the other side of the cross. Lay the stuff down. I think God's talking not only to me, but to you. Because two weeks ago, 
the bin lorries were here. And I was in the early morning prayer meeting, and it just came to me, and I just started thinking stuff. I thought, people are coming here to get rid of their rubbish. And they're thrown in the back of the lot, and somebody will drive them off. But guess what? A month's time, they'll come back with the same rubbish, or not the same, rubbish, into, and they'll keep doing it once and get rid of the rubbish. That's not how it should be. And I believe what God said to me that day was, don't keep recycling your rubbish. Don't keep playing it back in your minds. Don't keep thinking about it. It's gone. This is the devil's playground. And if you let him get a hold of you there, he'll keep you there. And every chain that Jesus has already broken, it's almost like as if he hadn't. In a prison, they have solitary confinement. Most of you know what that is. If somebody's not very good, they put them all on their own. They might have a bread and water, I don't know. They're locked away in an inner prison. Maybe if you've been in there for a few weeks, and suddenly you're let free. What does it feel like to be let out of solitary confinement? Isn't it wonderful? But the reality is, you're still in a prison. Don't let the devil keep you in prisons. Don't keep regurgitating the same stuff. John, could you just show me that? I just want to show you a picture of something. Can I just say, when we were born again, our flesh didn't die? Paul had great battles with his flesh. I want to show you something. Can anybody see that? Sorry, I know you're struggling with it a little. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, because I can just talk about this. This is a cuckoo. I'll just wait, just in case you can't. That's a picture of a cuckoo sat on a nest that is completely filling, and it's overflowing. That is a little warbler of some sort. What a cuckoo does, very crafty bird, cuckoo doesn't want to bring up its young. So it looks for a nest, and it will lay its egg, its egg into a nest among the other eggs. Now, this is a crafty bit. The cuckoo egg hatches more quickly or sooner than the other eggs. And what it does, it hatches, and I've seen pictures, and it's a little scrawny thing, and it goes to all the other eggs, and it gets them on its back, and it tips them all out of the nest, until it is the only nest, only egg in the nest. And then the parent birds begin to feed their chick. It's theirs. Why? Because it's in their nest. It has to be theirs. And they feed it. And I saw a picture of one like that. Imagine that. And it was a bigger... It grown more. And there was a little Jenny Wren sat on its back trying to feed it. But she thought it was hers because it was in her nest. Imagine these birds tirelessly trying to feed a thing that big. What happens when you feed a baby naturally? It grows. And the more it grows, what does it demand? More and more food. And the more you give it, the, you might not realize this, the more you feed them, the bigger they get. There comes a point when you should not allow them to have so much because they get too big. And I'm not talking about babies now, because even as older people, we know there's a time when... I didn't like to say that. <laughs> but this is exactly what happens. The parents, I would think, wear themselves to death trying to feed this bird that is almost insatiable for more food. What a picture of the flesh in your life and mine. Cries out for dominance. It can't kick out our spirits, but it can certainly put up such a fight and get into our minds and what we do, what we read, what we watch, what we think, what we get involved with, all the rubbish we get involved with. The Bible's full what the, what the flesh is about sexual immorality and all the other stuff is insatiable. 
addictions are insatiable because they have to be fed. And it's almost like the battle between the flesh and the spirit, when I want to do good, I've got this thing that's almost trying to overtake the power and the spirit of me. So we need to feed our spirits. If you starve those things, they shrink. The more you feed them, the more they will demand, and the more you feed, the bigger they will get and they will keep control. So you've got to starve your flesh and you've got to feed your spirit. How do we feed the spirit? Paul says, think noble thoughts. Put away the other rubbish that tries to come in. Read the Bible, pray, speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues, try to do it every day because Paul says you're building up your spirits and you need that when you have a battle with the flesh. So but all about what's going on inside. This thing's insatiable and it will take away your spirit life if you can. Paul talked about three types of people. Natural person, natural man, natural woman. Have no thought of God, none whatsoever. They live their lives, no recollection, no connection to God. Second person, spirit-filled person. Makes all their decisions in accordance with what God wants, listens, prays a lot, you know, very spiritual people. And the third one, the fleshly person. Born again, just like the spirit person was. But living in the flesh as if he wasn't born again. That's this flesh life. It's like he's turned away what he believes. Still born again, but living in the flesh. This is what that's a picture of. But I want to give an encouragement to people we've all got families and to some degree or other we know that we do give in to the flesh sometimes, don't we? Otherwise we wouldn't have to ask Jesus to wash our feet. You know, gossip, envy, all that. It's all part and parcel of the same thing. But I think maybe we know some of our own families, our own children, grandchildren, whatever, friends, who once walked with God and maybe it looks as if now they're living more in the flesh than they are in the spirit. I just want to encourage you something. A picture came that as I was praying the other day, that sounds so, so spiritual. I don't mean it to mean like that. You know, we've had this phrase, you see a coal fire burning and one of the coals comes out. It's been burning quite happily when it was in the in with everything else, but now, on its own, goes out, it gets a bit cold. And we often think, you know, poor thing, you know, that we want to get them back. What I believe God said to me, the bit that's fallen out has material that can still catch fire again. All it needs, put it in the fire. It just needs to be set afire again. It's not like it's got to be all made different. It's, there's something there. It's just got out of step. It needs to get back in. Prodigal son is a great picture of that. Don't think, because they've come out of the fire, that it's a done deal. Pray to God that they, touch, he has a, they have a touch again or to get drawn back into the fire. We believe this helps us keep burning as we join together. You isolate yourself, it's quite easy to go cold. So just think of those, and I just want it to be an encouragement. Amazing things have happened at the cross, and live in it's what its fullness is. Encourage one another. So if you hear each other saying something that isn't right, say, actually, I love you, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible's saying this. We are brand new creations. The old has gone. And the new is here. So you just pray. Father, I want to thank you for the revelation of your cross. Thank you for the new life you've brought us. Thank you we are spiritually born from above. Thank you because of that you live in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we live and move and have our beings in you. I pray this morning, Father, the revelation of who we are in Jesus would actually overwhelm the lies that the devil tries to sow day by day into our lives. pray we'd live in the power of your Spirit and in the new creation that we are. 
thank you as we took the bread and wine this morning. The bread's in us. The wine's in us in that sense. You're part of us, Father. And I just pray, Father, the chains that Jesus has already broken in the past, by faith, by revelation, we would appropriate them for our own lives and know that we are brand new creations in Jesus. And we're living in that new covenant where you don't keep record of our sins. Day by day, we can come closer to you and have a greater revelation of who we are in Jesus. So we bless you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.